0: Good evening, everybody. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Tonight, we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2, looking again at this passage, verses 11 through 22. I want to continue this theme of growing into a holy temple. Really the overriding theme of Ephesians chapter 2. Looking at verse 21. Just picking up right at the end, in whom, talking about Jesus Christ, the whole structure being joined together, talking about the church, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And the last time I was up here a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at this passage here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, looking at the theme of unity within the church. And not just talking about the ethereal idea, this very broad idea of the universal church, the body of all believers for all time, but the visible expression of the universal church, the local body, Lakeside Community Chapel, if you want to put it in concrete terms. And how the overall goal of Ephesians chapter 2 is to cultivate unity within the church by building it within the local church body. And I know... The last time that we were together and I was up here, we talked a lot about unity really in the sense of what it does not look like. And we looked at what does the Bible speak to or how does the Bible help us when we deal with bitterness and grudges and infighting and things like that and how that is not unity. Hey, but unity within the local church body, we need to understand, is not simply the lack of these things. That would just be a senseless void. But unity is the presence of certain things. And actually, Joel, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but he read a passage earlier that I want to take us back to just by way of reintroducing some of these subjects tonight. And that's in Colossians chapter 3. We talked a little bit last time, like I said, about what unity is not, but what is it? When we're talking about this passage laying down for us fundamental building blocks of unity, what does that look like actively? And I go to Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, notice that is active, put these things on, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we see here in Colossians chapter 3, as Paul writes to the church at Colossae, that unity within the body, or the way that we ought to relate to each other, involves activeness. It involves going out and doing these things. Being compassionate, being kind, being humble. It says bearing with one another in our faults, like we talked about last time. There is no perfect church. As I stand before you and as you sit out there in the audience tonight, none of us are perfect. If you spend any sort of time in a local church body, you're going to hurt others, you're going to offend others, and others are going to hurt and offend you. It's inevitable. It's a body comprised of imperfect human beings, but the gospel gives us the ability to live with each other in this way. And so we continue in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Or we could say in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Again, a unified body. And be thankful. And then how, in a body filled with unity, how do we minister to each other? How do we build each other up? Well, Verse 16, let the word of Christ first dwell in you richly and then let it come out in the teaching and admonishing of one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what is unity besides the absence of all these negative things that we talked about? Unity ultimately summed up there in verse 17. Whatever you do to your brothers and sisters at Lakeside Community Chapel, let it be said that it is done in the name of the Lord Jesus. How would Jesus view or treat this person? And that is how they will be viewed and treated by me. And so with that in mind, we go back then to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, which is what we talked about last time, therefore remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And as we started to look at this passage, we said our verses 11 through 22 give us three building blocks to unity. If we are to achieve what Colossians chapter three describes, how do we get there? And here's how Paul instructs the church at Ephesus, and likewise us, he gives us three building blocks in this passage, the first being what we looked at last time, when he says, remember what you were previously, remember your past, that you were alienated from God and his people. His therefore remember at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 11, points back to verse 10, to where now you were once dead, but you were made alive by grace through faith and for the purpose of good works. Not just to exist on your own island, but rather to exist within a local community that is marked by love and unity. So the first building block of unity is to remember our past and where God has brought us as sinful human beings from. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from God's people. We were strangers to the promises and covenants of God in the Scripture. We were ultimately without hope and without God in the world. And the point here of the first building block was that an understanding of the situation that God has saved us from will cultivate a humility in our hearts that provides a platform for pursuing unity with our fellow believers. When we humbly remember who we used to be and what we used to be like, it levels the playing field. There's no position of pride left to stand above and judge our brothers and sisters in Christ from above them. But we remember... I'm a sinner just like they are. No matter how badly they may have hurt and offended me, it is nothing compared to my past offenses against a holy God. And if he can forgive me, then surely I can forgive them. And so tonight I want to look with that in mind at the final two building blocks. Beginning with verse 13. The second building block that we will look at, the first tonight, is after we've seen to remember our past, let's look at our present Remember who you are now. You are at peace with God and His people. Starting with verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So the second building block that Paul gives to the Ephesian church to get to a unified whole is to think about who you are now. Remember, you're present you are at peace with God and consequently His people. Now the broad context here for the Ephesian believers, the original context, focused on the enmity, like we said, between Jew and Gentile. Between those who were God's chosen people from the Old Testament and those who were outside of that. But the point of this passage is to show that Jesus has made peace through his life, death, and resurrection between Jew and Gentile, between both of us and God. And now, rather, the church and those in the church, instead of identifying as Jew or Gentile in their context, or with anything else that might divide us now, we are now identified in Christ. And that is the only identity that matters. And as I was thinking back through this this week, thinking how refreshing is that especially in a culture like ours today in an age of identity and identity politics and labels okay where we are all broken down and categorized and stereotyped it seems by what group or subgroup we belong to are you black white latino are you homosexual are you heterosexual Or anything else that comes in between, male, female, however many else we can come up with. In a world like ours, that's how we are categorized, that's how we are characterized, and we're expected to act a certain way. What the scriptures tell us, that is nothing. When it comes to the church, that stuff stops at the doors because we belong to Christ, and that is the only identity that matters. And really, that's the only solution when we look around at a world that seems to be crumbling around us. That is the only true solution for a lost and dying world, and for the confusion that we see. And so remember, Jesus has made peace, as we see, and now we are labeled and defined by Christ. Verse 12 talks about you who were once far off. This is a reference talking to the Ephesian believers, pointing to the reference to the Gentile Christians. As they were described in verses 11 and 12. That really sums it up, right? You were far off. As the end of verse 12 says, you were ultimately without hope. You were without God. But you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A reference to his sacrificial death. And you're going to notice this is a recurring theme throughout this passage. The death of Christ. Jesus is described as our peace. In verse 14, he himself is our peace. He has made, in this context, both Jew and Gentile one in his body. After emphasizing the division that existed in verses 11 and 12, Paul says, that's not where you are now though, because Jesus Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now again, there's a lot of Old Testament reference here. Okay, because that was the context that they existed in. They were Gentile Christians now being grafted, as Paul says in Romans, into the people of God, and that animosity that existed, what they were trying to overcome, their obstacle to unity was their Gentileness versus the Jewishness. And how these were going to blend together into one new body that had never existed before. At least in earthly form, in a tangible form here on earth. And so when Paul says in verse, what is it, verse 14, that he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, this is a reference to the dividing wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the Old Testament temple. As you walked into the temple, okay, there was certain areas, certain levels. And there was a certain level to which Gentiles, non-Jewish people, were allowed to go into the temple and to worship, but no further. If we were to have been there, we would have seen clearly marked on the wall an inscription that read something like this, that no Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. The thing is though, the Jews of the Old Testament and of the time of Christ had misunderstood what the purpose of the court of the Gentiles was for. You see, God had separated the Jews from the Gentiles for the purpose of redeeming both groups. He placed the court of Gentiles in the temple for the purpose of evangelizing the nations, not excluding the nations. The court of the Gentiles should have been a welcoming place where the Jews said, Come in. You're welcome here. Let us teach you about the true and living God. But instead, the Jews had perverted it into a symbol of division. Rather than an opportunity to reach out and to minister to others, the Jews use it as a reason to exclude. And Paul's point here is Jesus has even redeemed the court of the Gentiles. Even this which once was a source of division between you is now gone. And so it is with us as New Testament believers. We don't have a physical temple here. We approach God through Jesus Christ. We need not go to a temple to be in His presence. But there are other hindrances in our relationships with other believers, other differences that have been broken down. These dividing walls of hostility no longer exist. But He doesn't stop there. He has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, By abolishing, how did he do this? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. How did he break down the wall of hostility, that dividing wall, that division? By perfectly fulfilling the law. The great symbol of enmity between these Jewish and Gentile believers was the law of commandments. The Mosaic law and all the ritual that was attached to it. Now again, the law in and of itself was good. God gave it to his people Israel. And God can only give good gifts. But again, it had been perverted into a symbol of exclusion. So this here talking about the law of commandments is a reference to the law as it was used as a set of regulations that excluded Gentiles. And that some in the church used to exclude Gentiles from the fellowship of believers. He's not talking here about the moral truths encompassed in the law. About the moral instruction. That's not what was abolished. Because we note the phrase, he talks about the law that was expressed in ordinances talking about the feasts, the sacrifices, the laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness, and probably even what had been added to it that had been perverted into symbols of exclusion. Because to the common Jewish person of this day, the Old Testament rituals had become outward badges of spirituality that only served, again, back to this idea to label and to exclude. Never the purpose of the law. You see, God will tolerate no practice of the law that excludes Gentiles or forces them to become Jews in order to earn his acceptance. Because we know that is not the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that we can do nothing to earn God's acceptance, right? And so, in breaking down the wall of hostility by his life, death, and resurrection, and abolishing the law of commandments as it was expressed in these ordinances Gentiles Paul writes are now accepted by God in Christ on equal footing with the Jews because what is important is the heart and its relationship to God and not the ritual the fulfillment of all this is Christ and that's where we bring it back to the church again we don't struggle necessarily with Jewishness versus Gentiles in our modern context but the broad point is the same Okay, whatever labels we bring in with us, whatever background we bring in with us, whatever baggage we may bring into the church with us is broken down, is abolished when we realize we are now united with Christ, that he died to set those things aside, to redeem those things, and to make the church into a glorious temple for him. Jesus did this Verse 15, that he might create in himself, or some translations, in his flesh, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. A creation of a new humanity, a new race, a new people that is marked by unity rather than division. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility, the idea of reconciliation, of taking those who were enemies and making them into friends, a reuniting, a reconnecting. This is a complete action. Enmity or any enmity that existed within the church or by these entities that were being brought into the church, any enmity that existed between them is now so completely laid aside that close friendship follows. Again, it's not just the absence of fighting like a ceasefire or a truce where we agree to lay down our arms so that we can come together and worship without you know, knocking each other out on Sunday mornings. But rather, those things are laid aside and they are replaced by the marks of friendship and love and community that we looked at in Colossians chapter 3. See, Jesus has made these two people groups into one church and established a proper relationship between them and God. Wherever we come from, whatever we bring with us, all of us have ultimately the same problem. The Jew and the Gentile back in this culture had the same problem, and so do all of us, that we're sinners in need of redemption. We have the same need. Ironically, this redemption, this reunification, this reconciliation took place through the cross of Christ. That was a stumbling block to the Jews and was folly to the Gentiles. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the sake of time, we won't read that tonight, but I'll point you back to it. Paul talks about the cross being a stumbling block to the Jews. They could never conceive that the promised Messiah of the Old Testament would be crucified on a Roman cross. The Gentiles thought it was utter foolishness. Telling me the Savior of mankind was treated like a slave and was subjected to that treatment? No, but Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that we, who were once separated from him, could have access to the Father, as Jesus says in John fourteen six. When Christ died, the barrier between God and his people was removed. And now we, as the church, as the redeemed people of God, share in the same access to God the Father that Christ has. And so when we remember that Jesus died to make peace between first us and God and between us, and those to your right and those to your left tonight how could you not be a priority for us you see in this passage it doesn't just speak of the death of Christ in terms of he came to provide forgiveness of sins hey, that was the first reason Hey, that is the gospel but Jesus also came and died to create one unified body if Jesus united the Jews and Gentiles of this era, he can unite us. When we think about it. If we fail to prize and prioritize unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we literally spit on his death and disregard his sacrifice that he made for us. This whole idea of unity is tied to what Jesus Christ has done to redeeming his people. And so Paul says, "Hey, in order to get to this unity within the body, first remember your past. Remember who you were. Remember now what Jesus has done for you to unify you. And then the third building block that he gives, he says, think about your future. Think about the future. I'm guessing nobody is shocked that that one came. Past, present, um, what comes next? Future. Looking at verse 19. Now, verse 19 starts in the present, but I've put it here on the future because it's one continuous thought that starts in the present and flows into what Paul says is the ultimate goal here. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord and here's where we get to the future part that finishes the thought in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit and so this whole idea of our our present continues now into now think about the future If you want to be unified, you have to understand where this whole thing is headed. Believers, in verse 19, are unified now in God's kingdom. This goes back to the idea when he says, you are no longer sojourners or strangers, in some translations, and aliens. This is the whole Old Testament idea of the sojourner. Those who were outside, not a part of the people of Israel, and yet were a part, that dwelled with them. In the land that subjected themselves to the Jewish laws and customs of the day and their rights and how they were governed, the point here that Paul is making is that all true Christians are fellow citizens in god 's kingdom. There is no distinction as there was in the Old Testament between Israel and the sojourner. No, we are all one. we are all truly fellow citizens. We are united, we see, not just as fellow citizens, but also in the second part of verse 19, we are a part of the family of God. Verse 19 says, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now each one of these ideas could be an entire sermon in and of itself. We don't have the time to do that tonight. But we understand that because we are now identified with Christ, God the Father now sees us and treats us all exactly as He sees and treats His own Son. The Father cannot give anything but His best to His Son, so He cannot give anything but His best to those who belong to the Son. And that is how we need to view each other within the body, as brothers and sisters, as a part of the family of God as those to whom God has given everything in Christ and so we withhold nothing when it comes to compassion, kindness, love, and unity. And now it moves on, the text does, into this idea of moving forward into the future and that believers are unified not just as fellow citizens, not just as a family, but as the temple of God. That the church exists as the visible expression of the love of God and the presence of God here on earth. What the temple used to be, as far as identifying the people of God and the presence of God, that is the church now in our world. Verse 20 talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets spoke God's revelation to God's people before the completion of Scripture. They had a unique office because they spoke the Word of God. Pointing back to the importance of the Word of God to the church, the church is built on the foundation of the Word and to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. You see, the text here sets Jesus apart. It says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ is is the most important part of that foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is special. He's not just another stone in the foundation, but He is the one that holds everything together. The apostles and prophets are mentioned because of their teaching, because they spoke the Word of God. Jesus is the cornerstone because of His person and work. And the idea here of Jesus Christ being the cornerstone is the idea of security. I want to look back very quickly to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 28, a very important passage, one that many of you will be familiar with, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, and we know now that this points to Jesus Christ, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, and then it ends, Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever trusts in Christ, the cornerstone of the church, will not be disappointed. It is the idea of security. What's emphasized is not just that the church is built on Christ, but that the church and those of us that make it up are secure in Christ forever. And Paul says, from this cornerstone comes the teaching of the apostles and prophets. comes those who believe, who are now built up on it. And this temple, the church, will not be complete until the last of the elect has trusted in Jesus Christ. And that is why it is still future. It is still being built. It's still incomplete. It's still imperfect. And yet it is still growing. And so this is our future. As we see in verse 22, In Him you also... Now the you there, that is not the idea of you as an individual. That is you as a corporate body. You all together are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the future of all of us. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And again, this is not talking, while we do acknowledge the truth, and it is a very important truth, that the Holy Spirit personally indwells each and every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ. That's not what it's pointing to here. It's pointing to the presence of God by the Holy Spirit in His church corporately. That when we gather together, when we exist as a unified, harmonious community, that exemplifies and demonstrates. The presence of God with his people today and in the world today just as the Old Testament temple did but what we have today is better than what the Old Testament prophets ever experienced or is even better than what the disciples and the followers of Jesus experienced while he was here on earth and so when we consider our future that we are being built together as a temple for God by the Holy Spirit We will prize unity with other believers when we realize that we were saved to be a demonstration now of God's glory, but an eternal demonstration of God's glory to the nations. So, tonight, you know, as we think about, well, how does that affect me? I would say again look to your left, look to your right, and realize that you're stuck with all these people forever. So, you better learn to get along with them now. Okay, plain and simple, right? We are being built together in all of our flaws, all of our imperfections are a part of the plan of God. And Jesus Christ came to redeem even those flaws and imperfections and in his infinite grace and mercy mold those things that in your brothers and sisters in Christ you might find maddening, you might even find infuriating, you might find horribly offensive. In time, they will be molded together with you for a temple, a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So as we step back from this passage tonight, again, the whole goal of Ephesians chapter 2, the unity of the body. From chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins, Going to chapter 2, verse 22, from that condition to now you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, not just as an individual, but as an entire body. How do we get there? Because again, this is not meant to be something just out there. Well, yeah, I'm one body with everyone who has ever believed in Jesus Christ. That is true. But again, it doesn't stop there. The tangible demonstration of that is the local church body today, Lakeside Community Chapel. So step back and ask yourself tonight, where am I at? What am I doing here? First of all, do I have unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I bear grudges? Are there brothers and sisters that I need to be reconciled to? Am I prizing unity within the body of Christ? As I stand here tonight is it not just that I'm not holding any grudges or that I have no enmity but am I actively reaching out as it talks about in Colossians chapter 3 putting on these things showing kindness and compassion and forbearing and forgiving in the same way that God has shown me to build up my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are here with me each and every Sunday And so as we remember our past, our present, and what we are to be in the future, that ought to drive us and pull our hearts together in a spirit of unity, that is tangible when someone walks through the doors of our church, in the way that we live our lives, in a way that unbelievers notice, especially in a world and a culture like ours that is so divided, with so many voices shouting into the air, The world ought to notice there's something different about you people. You're not the same. You love. You show kindness. You show compassion. You're faithful in a way that I don't see in the world around us. And what a testimony that could be. What a light Lakeside Community Chapel could be if this is what we prize, if we do these things, if we remember where we have come from, what we are now, and what we are headed for with an eternal perspective powerful tool, I said, for evangelism. We've spoken primarily tonight to believers, but to those who do not know Christ. Again, your condition is still that of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, but it does not have to be that way. Again, you too could be built into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, if you will but turn from your sins and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And I encourage you, if you are here tonight and you do not know Christ, if you have never trusted in Him, believe the gospel. Turn to Him in repentance and faith. Believe in your heart that what Jesus did in coming as the perfect sinless Son of God and dying a sinner's death was for you. Confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart and you will be saved. You will know mercy and forgiveness. Why don't we stand together, we'll pray tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us tonight to gather together to worship you through song, through giving, through the teaching of your word. Father, I pray that you would help us as we've looked at tonight in your word and as we have sung about, as we have experienced together. Father, that you would help our church to be an example of unity in Christ Father, that we would be a light to a world that so desperately needs it, that we would be a place, Father, where we are welcome, where we live together in harmony. Father, that is marked by unity, by love and kindness, and the same compassion and mercy that you have shown to each and every one of us. Father, I pray for those who may be here tonight or who will hear this message, who will hear this service, who do not know Christ. I pray that you would open their eyes to their need for the Savior. Father, that you would convict them of their sin and their need for you of their desperate condition, and that you would give them the faith to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation from their sins. We pray that you'd be with us during this week, that you would help us to be lights and testimonies for you, that you would bring us all safely back next week to worship you again together as a family. And we love you, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins, and we pray in his name, amen.